What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the new episode of the Giants huddle podcast. It's our roundtable of Giants reporters at the halfway point or whatever close you can get to the halfway point in the 17-game season. I am John Schmelk. Kim Jones in for Tom Rock, who we're going to be bad now today because he has now big-timed us as the national reporter for Newsday. Art Stapleton from The Record and Paul Schwartz in the New York Post. The Giants Huddle Podcast is brought to you by PSE&G, energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit pse.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. Kim, you're here. You're working for FAN. It's good to have you. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. I'm great. Thank you. I don't know if I'm as good as the Giants, but I'm great. I'm great. Well, I don't know if any of us are as good as the Giants right now. So let's start there. How? Kim, go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what I really love about this team and, and the times I'm around this team and this coaching staff is they're really authentically who I believe them to be, right? I think from a distance, a lot of us had an, an impression of Wink Martindale. Uh, my my impressions of him was solely from a distance. Brian Dable, I got to know pretty well because I covered Buffalo so many times over these last several years. And from that standpoint, none of this surprises me. Now, the record right now shocks me because we've all become conditioned at this point in the season to see one or two wins on the Giants ledger. And they've turned it around very quickly, guys, M- much more quick. I thought the signs of turning it around would be there long before the turnaround. I was wrong about that. It's been, it's been in tandem and it's been fantastic. Art. <clears throat> totally agree with that. Uh, obviously, you know, two and six a year ago and, and now six and two. Uh, but I will say I predicted six wins. So until they get number seven, I'm spot on as far <laughs> as my prediction goes. That's what I'm going to stick to. Uh, I do like what Kim said about being genuine. Uh, and I do think that this coaching staff, why it's connected to the players is that in past years, without pointing fingers, a lot of this stuff was said. It was said behind the scenes. It was said into microphones. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to trust our players. We're going to build the system around what we have, not necessarily an ideal as to what we're going to be. And I think I go back to, again, what Saquon Barkley said the first day of the offseason program after they came off the practice field. He said, we've talked about things behind the scenes and in meeting rooms. And then you get out on the practice field and you never see it. He said, we see it. We see what they're talking about. They carried through to week one with the two-point conversion, how the players knew 
That was the mentality that Dayball said he was going to have the first big spot for this team to respond. And he put the trust in them to come through. They came through. And I really think it's been a wave since then for this team to kind of back up the trust and that authenticity of what this coaching staff has brought to this team. Paul Schwartz. Um, no, I just have to say, well, I, I'm a little confused because you said Tom Rock was supposed to be on here and now Kim is on here. And so we have talking points to badmouth Tom Rock, right? See, I got confused. I thought that Tom was going to be on here and Art wasn't. And I prepared all these talking points to badmouth Art. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I had nothing to badmouth Kim, but I had a lot of stuff to badmouth Art. And now I have go to ahead. kind of re- reassess. No, no. So um, you know what? <laughs> A couple of things I'm going to touch on because I had the luxury of going third here. A couple of things that Kim said and Art said. Art said that two-point conversion to start the season was like, okay, that was a sign, right? Well, let's not forget, after that, the Titans missed a 47-yard field goal, right? I mean, it was the same game we've seen in other years with, with other regimes, and they make that field goal, right? The defense let them come, not let them, the defense did not prevent the other team from coming down the field to kick a makeable field goal. And they missed it. They just missed it. Right. And so what Kim said, well, she was wrong about this team. Everybody was wrong about this team. And you know what? I think Joe Shane and Brian Dable were wrong about this team because they did not expect six wins out of the first seven and now six out of the first eight. They didn't, they expect it to be cohesive. They expect it to be disciplined. They expect it to start laying the groundwork for a culture change they didn't expect it. So look, I picked them to go seven and 10, right? I mean, you know, they're going to have to be really bad to, 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 you know, to be seven and 10 right now. We don't think that's going to happen, but I'm not like, Oh my gosh, what did I miss? What did I miss here? We, we, none of us missed it because the, everybody missed it. You know, they, they're, they've been fortunate. They've been lucky. They've been, they played well. They've stuck to a script that almost every game has worked. You know, can it, can it continue in the second half? I mean, a little bit. I don't think you can 100%, but look, I don't think we any of us missed anything. I mean, we all missed it. This Their team was not supposed to win six games, but they have. Yeah, look, I, I think you're 100% right, Paul. And look, they're only a plus six in point differential, right? Yeah. But but they're six and two. So I think what we've all learned over the years is that the NFL is played on a razor line of winning and losing, and it's a pretty thin line between those two things. And the Giants, through execution and coaching, and also from the bounce of the ball, to your point, the, the field goal that the Titans missed, they wound up on the better side of that this year. Every game has been a one-score game except for one. That was a Seattle loss. So they're 5-1 and one in one-score games. And I think that does speak to the coaching. And I think, frankly, and Kim, I'll start with you here too, I think what we all kind of missed is, you know, Saquon Barkley looks like the guy that they drafted. And the offensive line, for the and we'll talk about the struggles in pass protection, I'm sure, they've run-blocked, I think, pretty well this year. And when you're, I think right now they're second or third in terms of rushing yards per game in the league. I think that can cover up a lot of things that maybe you're not doing well. Yeah, it's funny how those Saquon detractors, he's done, he's finished, he can't stay on the field. They've been awfully quiet, right? I think Saquon's participated in at least 80% of the snaps in every game this season. Um, Offensive snaps, of course, you know, except for that game in London where I believe he was somewhere in the 60s or something. So you know, he's been durable. The, the idea that Saquon was going to lose it, um, even after a string of, of unfortunate injuries, including the craziest one where he stepped on Jordan Lewis's foot in Dallas, and we watched live on television as his, as his uh, ankle absolutely ballooned like a party balloon. Um, 
the idea that he was just going to give up or he was never going to be the same is something I never entertained because I have the good fortune of having known him since his Penn State days. And there was no doubt about that. I will say this though, guys, I think, I, I think, and I think I know that Saquon very, very pleasantly surprised this coaching staff in every single way. I don't think they knew exactly the player or the guy they were getting when they made the trip down from Buffalo. And I mean that. I don't think they had a bad impression. I don't think they realized who he truly is. And I think as soon as Brian Dayball and, and the coaching staff really kind of got the hang of that, you see an awful lot of trust being placed in Saquon Barkley. Um, and it should be right now. He's, he, he's been fantastic. This little, this little slash big comeback of his um, is good for every single person in East Rutherford, obviously. Paul. You know, I, and, you know, you know, I think Kim and Art and I have all talked about this, you know, in private also about Saquon. I mean, I never understood when he was a great player as a rookie. Was, you know, it's yeah. one thing if he came in the league and just it just didn't work. But he was a great player as a rookie. Great. He was the offensive rookie of the, of the year. Rightly so. And then he got hurt. I mean, you know, and, and, and then every once in a while he'd show up on Zoom, right? Because the world had, had, had fallen off a cliff or we'd see him in person and he'd be wearing a hoodie and he'd be down. Yeah, he was down because his, his knee wasn't back yet and his ankle was not there yet and the team stunk. Um, so, you know, and, and people said, well, uh, he uh, is at, you know, we have to separate Saquon Barkley, the player, and Saquon Barkley, the number two pick in the draft. You know, we could debate for probably 24 hours whether you should ever take a running back number two in the draft. But I, I always said, what is Saquon supposed to do at number two when the Giants are putting the card? Hold on. No, no, Dave, you know, you know, John Mara, Steve Tish. No, 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 no. Um, um, I think I'm a great player and I think I'm going to be valued in the franchise, but, but I am a running back in positional value. You should take me at seven or eight or 12. So please put that card back and wait. I mean, come on. So, I mean, I never understood the venom against Saquon. And let's remember, look, Joe Judge, I think maybe has the potential to be a head coach. He's 30, he was 38 when he was hired. Ben McAdoo was 38 when he was hired. Brian Dable was 47 when he was hired. If Brian Dable was 38, he might not have been ready for this. And Joe Judge never had this Saquon Barkley, okay? And, and you don't have to be a genius as a head coach to say, you know what? Have the quarterback hand the ball to Saquon Barkley, you know, 20 times a game and we'll see what happens. Joe Judge never had that. He was never healthy. So, you know, I mean, without Saquon Barkley, this team is two and six, not six and two. I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Paul, Paul's point about Saquon and, you know, we all saw it. You know, you're watching on Zoom. It's during the pandemic. Things aren't going well for him, for the team, you know, and just the the mood, you know, he was always the the bright light. I mean, when Saquon was brought in here, the brooding star, quote unquote, was Odell Beckham Jr. And Saquon was supposed to lift Odell up, you know, that that idea that it, they were going to be, you know, sunshine together. The spotlight was going to be the both of them. And when Odell is shipped out of town and Saquon's here, now he has that burden through times where he's not healthy. And I think it's fortunate to be able to see him now uh, being healthy, being a leader on this team, but also it's the little things. This coaching staff, I don't know if Bobby Johnson and Tony Sperano Jr. have gotten enough credit with what they've done with this offensive line. I mean, going back to the summer, 
they were a really good run blocking unit in practice, in training camp, even in preseason games. And that actually carried over to the point where they're one of the best. I, I don't care what the numbers may say as far as analytics, as far as a run blocking unit, this is the best run blocking offensive line that Saquon Barkley has had. Oh, it's not and close. You, you not throw close. in Daniel Jones and his ability and the creativity of this offensive minded staff with between Dable and Mike Kafka and, and everybody else across the board. I think it just, it fits what Saquon's doing. And the more you see, the more creativity, the fun of seeing him in a direct snap situation. You know, I, I joke with him. It's no longer the wildcat. It's the Nittany lion. You know, that, that idea of he is the engine that makes this offense go. Daniel Jones is a separate category. I'm sure we'll get to that, but Saquon Barkley right now is the reason they are six and two at the top of the list. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. The one other thing, there is a point where he knows how important this season was to him. And I'm not saying he changed his mentality or his approach. He's coming through when he needed to come through for his individual success and also for this team. So it was almost like, you know, if this is year two, year three, I'm not saying that Saquon didn't play as hard because he certainly did but it's coming together at the right time. It, it's his final year. He's got it. He's in a contract year. It's a new regime. He's had to prove himself to people in this building. And I think he's done that from day one, the moment that Dable and Shane walked into this building, Saquon has been the guy that we see today. Uh, and I think that's a credit to him. Yeah. Look, and I, I don't think you can understate how important he's been. I'm going to ro roll off some stats here as guys. And, I think if these were the numbers that we were looking at this year and the Giants had a poor record, fans would be screaming about it till the cows come home. The Giants have nine completions of 20 or more yards this year, last in the league. Deep pass attempts of over 20 yards, 14, 31st in the NFL, 5.8% rate on those throws, 15, uh, 34, 15 plus yard pass plays, 29th in the NFL. You can survive that. And, you know, their rush rate, fifth overall, most, you know, in terms of percentage of plays that are running plays. You know, if if this wasn't the Saquon we're looking at, I mean, this wouldn't look much different. And I'm not sure than the offenses we've seen the last two years. Right. It's just changed everything. And it the defense's ability, obviously, to, to keep points off the board. And we'll talk about them specifically. Everything is just kind of fit together for once. And I think they've had trouble finding that complimentary football feel over the last few years of at least, you know, letting both sides of the ball work together. And I think everything Paul has kind of come together in tandem this year to make that work. Well, also what did we say for years? You know, we're not looking for the Dallas Cowboys offensive line when they were great, right? They had like four pro bowlers. Just let's see what an average, pretty good offensive line would look like. You know, just let's see, then let's evaluate the quarterback. Let's about Saquon, things like that. And, you know, I don't think they're they're. I think they're better than an average offensive line, but I don't think they're a top 10 offensive line right now. I mean, I, I really don't. I think they're, they're sort of a, a, a slightly above average. They have a great young left tackle. I mean, he's great. You know, he's, 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 you know, we can redo the draft from three years ago and where does he go in the draft? Right. I mean, he's, you know, he was the number one offensive tackle off the board then. And the giants were, were roundly criticized for that. And, you know, he wasn't ahead at the first quarter mile. Right. But he is very close to being ahead or maybe ahead right now. So he's terrific. You know, Evan Neal, I think is going to be terrific. I mean, he's, 
he's he was probably better in his first six or seven games. I don't know if you guys would agree me that that then Andrew Thomas was in his first yeah, six or seven. I think so. Games. So you know, so so he's going to be terrific. And you know, the other three guys inside, I think, are guys they're using now. And next year, you may have two or three different guys, or maybe Shane Lemieux steps in, or maybe Nick Gates steps in, or you know, you know, some. So I, I just think they have, you know, I think they're pretty good on the offensive line, but I don't think they're all world beaters. Um, you know, you mentioned about the receivers, and we'll get into that. And you know, look. The two, <laughs> the, well, the two, the two uh, highest, most prolific running teams in the league are the Giants and the Bears, right? And you know, in college football, that's great. In the NFL, you know, the Bears aren't any good. You know, the Bears are selling off players now. So, um, you know, the Giants are good with the record, but this is a very tenuous situation. They cannot survive with those stats in the second half with what you're saying if they can't get the ball down the field. And you know, and 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 um, you know, Marcus. Johnson is getting 86% of the offensive snaps. It's just not going to work. I mean, Saquon is last I checked, he is human. So, um, um, you know, it has to get better, but look, there's it. That's why it's remarkable. And, and, you know, Brian Dable is the coach of the year in my mind, because six and two is, you know, they are being superbly coached on, on both sides of the ball. Art. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that that's the coaching aspect. I mean, really for the first time all year, a coaching staff actually stepped up in Seattle against the Giants and kind of matched them play for play. I mean, the Giants for their winning streak, they had completely outcoached Green Bay, well, at least Chicago to the side, Green Bay, Baltimore, uh, and then down in Jacksonville. You know, everything that we wanted to hear about was, oh, this is the week that Doug Peterson and his staff are going to outcoach Dable and, and the Giants, and it just didn't happen. Uh, this week, I'm not saying that they were outcoached, but you finally saw an opponent that was able to stand up with much, much more talent. I mean, you look at the two talented receivers as banged up as they were for Seattle, the damage that Metcalf and Lockett did, but also, you know, the way they were able defensively to finally counterpunch what the Giants were able to do offensively. And I think that's why things just really struggled to get going. And I think in the second half, it's going to be a challenge for this team. Sure. You'd love to see them have more talent. You want an infusion of talent, but this coaching staff now has to evolve. They have to figure out way now to come out of the bye. You're not going to be able to beat teams because they're going to go to work on what Seattle was able to do. And now you kind of, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how they evolve, especially offensively to see what they can counter punch off of what didn't work uh, in Seattle. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six man of the year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
you know, Kim, I think Art kind of brought us an interesting direction. The sustainability of this model, right? I think it's something that is going to be a big topic of conversation as you head into a schedule where you still got to play five of your six division games, which obviously are very important. Your thoughts on, on how what adjustments might be made. We're recording this before the trade deadline. So, folks, if there is a trade made, we're not talking about it because we're recording it on Tuesday morning because you all want to get in the bye week and go have a good time. Um, your thoughts on moving forward, how they kind of keep it on if they can keep it on, given what's down the road. Yeah, and I look at the defense first as part of this conversation, guys, because you look at Jalen Smith, you know, back from what I remember most of him might be what many people remember most of him. And that was obviously that awful injury in that bowl game, Um, you know, and and they're getting, you know, production from from a player like that. I'm I'm still waiting to see Landon Collins and and hoping that he makes it, you know, another splash in, in round two as a New York giant. But when you think about um, Wink Martindale, he absolutely was in the room when they drafted Kayvon Thibodeau. He absolutely wanted that draft pick. That's no secret and shouldn't be a a revelation to anyone. But I've been told reliably, he also loved Dexter Lawrence coming out. And I think it's not an accident. We're seeing Dexter play what certainly in my opinion is his best and most enthusiastic football as a New York giant. And he's making plays and, you know, and when you go back to the and, and imagine if if James Bradbury could have been kept yeah. and it wasn't a numbers game and a dollars game, because I also know for a fact that Wink obviously would have loved having James Bradbury. And I know that sounds like no kidding, but, you know, not every player meets every scheme, um, but but he would have and he would have been a, a great part of this Wink Martindale defense. And, you know, you look at at what Wink has been able to do. Um, and I think it's really set a tone and an aggressive tone for these players. And, and obviously on defense, that's the goal every time out. But I think that we are seeing players empowered, players know that they can make plays. And, and perhaps most importantly, guys, uh, this to me is a separate topic unto itself. It certainly doesn't have to be in this regard. But I can't tell you the players, they do include Dexter, they include O'Shane Zimenez. They include Darius Slayton, but it goes beyond that, who said to me, we can now make mistakes on the practice field and they are corrected on the practice field. It is not a punitive situation. And that to me is one of the ways that this team has very easily flipped, not only flipped the script from last year, but really embraced the script because they are being coached in a manner that they respect and appreciate but that also gets better results. You know, Kim, I want to go back. I think you make a good point. Um, I forget what practice it was, but Ocean Zimenez in one-on-ones commits two offsides penalties, I yeah. think, in three snaps during practice. And Dable was happened to be walking by, yells at him, you know, does what the typical coach does, but it didn't bury him, right? Like, it, they, you know, okay, you made a mistake. Let's see if you can come back and, and contribute. And, and, you know, Paul Art, I think, and Paul, why don't we go to you first? You know, they have given some of these guys that, Maybe at first you're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe their time's up here. They're not going to contribute. And they've been factors. And right, let's be honest, Darius Slayton's their best wide receiver. He's, he's the only guy that really gets open besides Wondell Robinson. I mean, he is, he, he is, he is, um, I mean, they, they can't live without him. And I always thought, you know, Darius Slayton caught a hundred passes his first two years. You know, he was not a slouch. I mean, he was a, he was a great draft pick at, you know, a, a third day draft pick and he's fast and he drops the ball too much. We get that. He's a good guy. Um, you know, does he sulk or whatever? I don't, I don't know, but, but, um, um, yeah, they buried him and then they resurrected him and that's, you know, kudos to them. I come, first of all, you know, we have to remember one of the first things this new group 
did when they came in, their first big decisions was, we're not going to give the fifth-year option to Daniel Jones, the quarterback, right? Guaranteeing him, well, like $22 million for 2023. And we are going to guarantee Dexter, what is it, about $10 million for next year? You know, sight unseen. So that goes to what Kim said, that Wink likes him, right? Look, it's hard not to like him. I mean, he's, he's a mountain of a man. He's a great guy. But he was not the kind of guy who got a lot of push in the pocket and things like that. This year he is. They changed basically his role in the interior of the, of the uh, defensive line he brought in. He's getting good coaching. Um, look, it's a mature coaching staff. I, you know, I, I really believe this is essential to the Giants is they hired a head coach when he was absolutely ready to be a head coach, not five years earlier. You know, Brian Dable thought he would be a head coach before this. You know, he's been in the league 25 years. You know, he was kind of a, a bridesmaid a couple of times, right? And got some interviews and he got beaten out by somebody. So I'm sure, you know, he'll say, yeah, I thought I was ready for this job, you know, three years ago, this job five years ago, but he didn't get it. So he's been he's been waiting and plotting in a good way for this. And he has hit the ground running. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Two things. He hired a, a very strong defensive coordinator who could overshadow a younger offensive minded head coach. You know, he didn't have to do that. And look, his baby is calling the plays. And, and I thought when he was hired, he will call the plays because that's what these guys do. And he gives it to not a guy who's proven to a guy, Mike Kafka, who is not proven. And to me, that was a very, very unselfish and incredibly mature thing to do. Because I think a head coach should not be calling the plays. He's got to be operating the whole team. Brian Dable saw it that way. And if he was 37, he might not have seen it that way. I just think it's the fact that they hired this coach at the exact right time. We're seeing that, that we're seeing the, the results of that here. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I'll throw this out there too, Art, before you go too. I think the one thing that struck me about Brian Dable is that if you didn't know what the score of the game was and you didn't like listen to his words in his post-game press conferences, just by how he looks and talks and sounds, you would have no idea if they won or lost. Like there is no difference in his demeanor. And he's talked about that. And again, it goes back to, I forget which one you made the point. You know, it's not just what he says is what he does and the coaching staff does and what the players see. He really does seem like the same guy. Now, we'll see if they lose four or five straight. If that continues, that's when, you know, the rubber hits the road and it gets really tough. And, and we'll find out when the adversity hits. But he just always seems to be the same guy. And and here's the thing going back to we talked about Joe Judge being, you know, probably way too early and not ready for this kind of thing. Uh, I think it does come from Belichick and Saban a little bit, the idea of the process versus the results, right? We heard that with Judge. Early on, it was, we don't look at the standings, we focus on our process. 
problem was the results never came and the results over the lack of results overwhelmed the process. Players don't buy in when they don't see results. I think with Dable and this coaching staff, they've gotten the results. And I don't just mean wins on the field. Obviously that matters, but with players, we talked Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence said from his first meeting with Wink Martindale, it was he Leonard Williams and Wink Martindale and Wink Martindale said, I am not doing my job. If the two of you are not pro bowlers by the end of the season, Andre Patterson came here and told Andre Patterson, the defensive line coach told Dexter Lawrence, I'm moving you to nose guard. You'll still play some three technique, but you're playing nose guard and you will be the best nose guard in the league because I see your hands and I know why this will work. And Dexter Lawrence trusted him. I think a big part of this, and we can go all the way back to Tom Coughlin, when things were struggling post Super Bowl 46, Tom Coughlin's one of his favorite phrases was, we have to play above the X's and O's, right? This coaching staff right now, from an X's and O's perspective, is good. What they've done developing players of different levels of talent is a huge factor here. They've not only taken elite players and made them play elite, you know, Saquon Barkley, let's talk Dexter Lawrence, his first round pick. They, they've got that, but they've got a guy like Julian Love who has made at least three plays off the top of my head that have won games this year. You know, they have a Xavier McKinney on the back end, the job of getting Xavier McKinney to go from just another player out there who's talent and happened to go to Alabama to being a leader in this locker room. I mean, you watch Xavier McKinney in this locker room. There's it's unquestioned who the guy that everyone kind of turns to and looks at. So, you know, I'm sure there are other examples that I'm not thinking of right now. Or how about a guy like Fabian Moreau, who they picked yeah, off and, the, the scrap heap. He's covering DK other, Metcalf one-on-one right. last week. I mean, it's crazy. And that's the other factor. And like Kim mentioned before, Jalen Smith, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Fabian Moreau is making plays. Landon Collins in his first game in forever against Jacksonville. And on that last play, he's right there. Landon Collins made a huge stop on third and one earlier in that game that set up the fourth and one stop against Jacksonville. So there are guys that they're just kind of working in here. Uh, Jihad Ward. Jihad Ward last year was basically, you know, he was a, a guy in the scrap heap in Jacksonville, you know, people looked at that and said, Oh, well they're hiring, you know, they're signing a guy from Jacksonville. Look at what Jihad Ward has meant to this team, especially with the injuries to Ojalari and then recently uh, O'Shane Zimenez. And then look at O'Shane Zimenez, you know, look at what O'Shane has done. He closed the game against green Bay in London. So I do think that we can go all around uh, about the idea of the X's and O's of this coaching staff. And we always talk about developing players. They are developing players who are not the most talented players on the roster. It's one thing to come in and say, we need to get the most out of Saquon Barkley. It's another thing to come in here and say, we need to turn Julian Love from a player who is essentially a special teamer and, you know, the duct tape guy, because we just stick them wherever something's broken. Julian Love is a big time player on this team right now. And, you know, he's playing himself into uh, the idea that he can get a contract extension to be a part of this Giants team going forward. I think they deserve a lot of credit. The players deserve the credit too, but that's what they've done here uh, in the first eight games of the season. You want to add up to that, Kim? You know, 
I wanted to add a little anecdote about, about Brian Dable. Um, he's so cool as a cucumber, as giant head coach. And I certainly understand there's a difference when you ascend from offensive coordinator, as he did in Buffalo, to being a head coach of the New York Giants. But there's, there's a fire that burns in him. And, and I believe it was last season. One of the teams was definitely Seattle. And in my mind, the other team was either Pittsburgh or the Chargers. Both games were at Orchard Park. And Brian Dayball started five wide. And I remember asking him about that either after the game or in his subsequent Zoom, you know, a day after the, the game about that, because I thought it was sending a clear message. We might be Buffalo. We might be up here in the cold, uh, you know, days of, of uh, you know, Buffalo impending winters, but we can fly with any of you. And, and he had a team and an offense that could. And he wasn't afraid to, to show that. And I told him one time, I said, on the air, I called it the Dayball Flex. And he smiled. He didn't give me anything audible that I could use, but he absolutely smiled. This is a guy who takes great pride in what he does, has waited a while. Uh, he could have been a coach, including perhaps of the Chargers, had things gone, gone differently. Uh, and, and he could have been on that West Coast a year earlier or so. Uh, but, the, but the Bills kept winning in the playoffs. And sometimes as we know, coordinators quote unquote, pay the price for that. Yeah. I think Brian Dayball would tell you he's in the absolute perfect spot for him to be in and nothing he does will surprise me. And I say that with optimism that he's going to have a very successful tenure. And I mean that he cares deeply about his players. He makes sure they know that he also gets on them as we've, uh, we've all seen on the sidelines in particular, and even at practice, but practice is practice. We've certainly seen it on game day, um, but, but he's invested an awful lot in this. He's going to be very, very successful. And I know it's easy to say that now, but I've thought that for a long time about Dable. All right, we got 10 minutes. We got two topics. We haven't talked about Daniel Jones. I think we've mentioned his name once as a runner, which is kind of amazing. Uh, so either any of you can jump in. How do you view what he's done so far this year? I think he's done what they've asked him, but he hasn't had to do a lot just because of what's going on around him. So jump in. D Daniel Jones thoughts here with nine games left in, in the schedule. I see a better quarterback right now, and I'm not just talking statistically. I just see a better quarterback, a better coach quarterback, uh, an offense that he has seemed to take to, obviously. Uh, I think – some of the throws that he's ripped off on third and longs, the gotta have it throws he's made them. I think he had two against Seattle on Sunday in which he just fired it in there and there was no apprehension. The turnovers are down. The bottom line is when it comes down to should the giants re-sign Daniel Jones and what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of game to play and he's got to stay healthy. He obviously avoided a serious injury with the ankle, uh, but before I can commit to Daniel Jones long-term as the quarterback of the Giants, I have to see how this season finishes out. And I don't necessarily means win, mean wins and losses. Uh, I, I think I want to see him continue to evolve and grow. Uh, but he deserves a lot of credit. This coaching staff, throwing Shea Tierney as the quarterback's coach, They've actually developed Daniel Jones where I think Daniel Jones the last two years has kind of been stagnant. I think Jones developed under Pat Shermer and that former co coaching staff and then just went stagnant completely with Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, and everybody else. I think this year you've seen a different Daniel Jones. Uh, and if you're the Giants, I think part of you is kicking yourself, like John Mara said in the offseason, 
uh, how much do we do to screw up this guy and not advance him to the point where making a decision on his future would be a lot easier than I, I think right now it's still a little bit more complicated. Camera Paul. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I'm not afraid to say, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, you should know about Daniel Jones, but I, I, I can't hear well, you can mention, you know, Kim knew Dable, you know, more, you know, earlier than I did, certainly. Um, um, you know, she mentioned the Dable flex, right. You know, this is not what Brian Dable wants to do. You know, he doesn't want to be the leading rushing team in the league. You know, he doesn't want to have two tight ends out there or three tight ends out there. He doesn't want to have Nick Gates reporting as eligible as often as he does. He just doesn't want to do that. You know, he doesn't. You know, that's not his vision of the offense. And and we all know why he's doing it. And he's not doing it because he doesn't think Daniel Jones is any good. So what I don't you know, he's doing it because they have Saquon. They have no wide receivers. I mean, look, if, I, if we would have sat here two months ago and I said, OK, I know what's going to happen that Kenny Galladay is going to have two catches for 22 yards. Darius is Tony's not going to have one receiving yard and they're going to be six and two. You'd say, okay, turn off his microphone, you know, get him off zoom. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, put it, put him in the loony bin. And so, you know, we get why this is happening, but I still want to do that by the way, but that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. Turn <laughs> off the zoom. Go ahead. You got the power. Turn it off. That's all. I don't think, I, I don't think people, you know, I mean, I'll go about my day and your listeners might be a little happier, you know? Um, um, I don't know. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know what Brian Dable and Joe Shane are thinking here. I think they respect Daniel Jones. They, they you know, he's, he's a big, strong guy. He's a great company guy. You never, you go to sleep at night and you never have to worry about your phone saying, Daniel Jones, whatever, you know, whatever, except maybe he helped the lady across the street or something like that. You know what I mean? So, so he's perfect in that regard. I think they have very, very high standards for quarterbacks. You know, they just came out of Buffalo with, they, you know, help create this monster out there. And so I'm not saying he's going to be that, but they have very high standards. You know, I don't know if they think Daniel can ever come close to that. And, and that's why it is so frustrating to see him throwing to these guys because, you know, I'd love to see him try to open it up a little more if they could. And then we get a better picture of what Daniel is. I don't know. Um, I don't know, but I will say this. I think the giants, you know, the powers that be are looking around the league and saying, let's put a list together of who everyone's got and where we think Daniel fits in there. And he fits in there higher than maybe you would think. So um, at this point, if he's not here, then who the heck is going to be here? So I think you have to weigh that too. You know what I mean? And so I think it, it, you know, the finances and all that stuff, we'll see. And as Art said, you know, luckily we don't have one more game here. We got a lot of games to go, you know, hopefully it'll be evident. I don't know if it will be. Kim. Yeah. You know, to me, a quarterback can't be incidental to what's going on around him. And a lot of times this season, I thought Daniel was, was pretty darn important to what was going on with the offense and his execution. He's cut down on turnovers. He's won games. You've got to win games as a quarterback. You can be a beautiful quarterback with every single metric in your favor. And if you don't win, you're not going to last very long in this league. Uh, he has turned that part of his game around. He is now a winning quarterback, particularly this season. It is going to be a very interesting call because Brian Dayball, when they drafted Josh Allen, um, had someone that the entire organization had incredible faith in, incredible faith, to the point where Brandon Bean tried to, dra tried to draft up or move up in that draft to get two overall from Dave Gettleman, who he formerly worked with in Carolina, 
because he was so afraid someone else was going to Josh was going to draft Josh. Obviously that trade didn't get made. They sat at seven, which was as high as they could get. They get Josh Allen. And now we're all seeing that play out, but Brian Dayball is used to having a quarterback in whom he has great conviction in every part of the game. I'm giving you a non-answer answer here no. because I simply don't know as I sit here today, how many of those boxes Daniel checks for Dayball. I know it's a lot and I know it's some significant ones. I don't know how in the world they would go into next year though, without at least competition. And I understand the contract then becomes part of this and everything else. It, it is going to be a bit of a murky situation coming off of a very good first year, I think is, is remains very important for the giants and they're showing every, every sign that they're going to, I don't think they're going to collapse after this buy. I don't think that. Uh, and I think they were smart not to take the buy after London, by the way, as many teams are now doing, but for Brian Dable, what boxes and how many does Daniel check? We can't know that yet. Well, the, well, the good thing, Joe Shane's talking on, on Tuesday afternoon. I'm sure he'll give the definitive answer <laughs> to exactly what they're doing with Daniel at the season anyway. So those whole conversations will be moved. All right, final, final topic here, guys. We got about four minutes. Kim, let's start with you. Biggest concern for the Giants as they head into the second half here. And what's top of mind for you when you think about this team trying to make it into the playoffs? I think probably a, a big injury. I don't even want to say a name. I don't want to say a position. I, I don't, you know, you don't I, I don't, to. I never, whoever roots for injuries except like awful people. Um, so I, I think it would just be a, a certain injury, perhaps a certain injury or two that would kind of, you know, put them off course. Let's put it that way. And I very much hope everyone involved stays healthy because they're on, the, they're on the right track. And I love the Giants fans have embraced that idea too. Art. Yeah, you know, the the injury certainly is is one to look at. I mean, we we've seen seasons derailed here with with big time injuries. Um, you know, I I'll say I'll say the 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 weapons offensively at receiver would concern me over the course of the season because um, you know, I, I think teams are going to start attacking the Giants uh that the way Seattle did and some teams will have the personnel to do it and some teams won't, you know, going against Houston and Detroit. I don't necessarily know if anything they do is going to prevent this rushing attack. But when you get into games against Dallas and Philly, and those are games that you need to ride your entire offense needs to rise up. And again, like you said, John, we're, we're recording this before the trade deadline. I don't anticipate a big move at receiver. If that comes, then maybe I'll revisit it. Uh, but you're not getting Sterling Shepard back this year as receiver. You've already cut ties with Kadarius Tony. I'm not sure how much you can expect from Kenny Galladay. Uh, so I don't see that help coming at wide receiver. And I think like Paul said, it's a great point. This isn't the offense that Brian Dable would like to run, but I think this is the offense that is going to be for the remainder of this season because of the personnel. And because of that, I, I think that'll catch up to them against the elite teams that are remaining on their schedule, specifically the Cowboys and Eagles. you got to score with those teams. And I don't know if the Giants can score with those teams playing the way they're forced to play. Paul? Um, I think um, I, I think the defense is going to hang in. You know what I mean? They're not, they, they have some deficiencies, but with Wink, you know, Wink said against Jacksonville, that was the most situational football he's ever called in one game ever. 
which is incredible. So literally almost every snap, he is, okay, um, this package, that package, uh, he's in, he's out. You know, he can't just throw guys out there and say, okay, just go get them, guys. You know, I mean, and, and, and you know, maybe if Ojolari comes back and, and is a better player, you know, and is healthy, he can do a little more of that. But, you know, I think I trust him to mix and match enough with what they have on every level. I'm not uh, loving the inside linebackers that much, but, you know, he they can figure it out. You know, they don't play a bunch of powerhouses. Um, Saquon is Saquon. Um, I think, as Art said, it's passing the football. You know, they can't be a team that, that look, Daniel Bellinger's not there for the foreseeable future with that eye injury. That, you know, sucks the guts out of the tight end position. Um, it's passing the football. It's easy to say, make these guys plays above the X's and O's. But, you know, these are just guys that, that you know, of, quite frankly, some of them are really not NFL players or they're marginal NFL players. And, um, you know, Kenny Galladay is going to come back healthy. I mean, he looked darn near shot. Uh, this spring and summer so you know if he contributes something that's great but you know he'll be gone by the end of this year you know not for next year so it, it, it's it's I don't see how they can figure out a way to be dynamic in any way shape or form throwing the football and I know as it gets colder and sloppier you want to run the ball more but <laughs> how much more can they run the ball so um, um, it's going to be a real real you know head scratcher for this coaching staff to figure out a way to get the ball down the field with what they have. Yeah, and I'll close with this. I think they've been very good situationally this year on both sides of the ball. They've even converted some third and nine pluses the last couple of weeks that really have led to touchdowns with this wide receiver core that, you know, they really shouldn't be doing that, but they have. You know, Wink's been so good in the, in the red zone and certain third down opportunities, and they don't really reflect the yardage you're giving up. I wonder if that dichotomy can continue on both sides. We'll see. And if that can, you know, keep them in these close games and, and win as many close games as they have is, you know, you guys know that that tends to even out over the course of a year, those one score games. And we'll see whether or not that continues. We thank Kim Jones from WFN, Art Stapleton from the record, Paul Schwartz from the New York Post for joining us on this episode of the Giants Little Podcast. Don't forget, folks, don't miss out. Giant game second half of the year. Go to Giants.com slash tickets to find your game this season, secure your seat and download the Giants TV app, the official Giants streaming app for big blue fans on Amazon Fire TV, Giants uh, mobile app, Apple TV and Roku. It is free. For the group, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us in the John Settle Podcast. We'll see you next time. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.